0: Well, have you ever had to start something over? Have you ever had to start over? Uh, If you ever had to start something over, particularly something you've worked hard on, particularly something that was going well, you know that starting over can be a particularly exhausting thing to do. Some of you, maybe you were in school and you were writing a, a paper, it was really important, you were almost finished with it, and then your computer dies, and you start your computer back up, and... The the project in the paper is nowhere to be found, right? Maybe you're working on a project for work and the same thing happens. You thought you saved it. Instead of hitting save, you hit delete forever, never to be found again. And you really are exhausted because you have to deal now with the prospect of starting this over, right? You're saying, in this few hours that I have before this thing is due, I could either spend all that time looking for it and trying to recover it or I could start this thing over. And when you start the thing over, it's never quite as good as when you, uh, the first draft of it, you've had to start over. Maybe you're in school, maybe you're a student, you, you fell behind in your grades, either because you were slacking or because the coursework was difficult and you had to repeat a grade. Anybody had to repeat a grade? Don't raise your hand. But if you've had to... When you've been left back or you have to repeat something or you have to take a test over, that second time that starting over can be so difficult. Or maybe you had a relationship that was going well and maybe something happened that ruined the trust within that relationship. And even the relationship might have been salvaged, but it was never the same. You had to start all over again, gaining trust again. It was so daunting and so difficult and so exhausting. And maybe you've had to start over financially, right? You were doing well. You were saving. You had quite a nest egg saved and something happened that completely wiped out your savings or something happened that may have even put you in the red and you had to start all over financially and it's just this sinking feeling that we have sometimes when we have to start all over again on the other hand sometimes starting over can be a very good thing particularly if things aren't going too well right particularly if things aren't going too well I have a brother-in-law who, for years, has been battling with issues with his kidneys, and each time i see him, he looked worse and worse and worse, and for years he's been on this kidney transplant list, and they call him and say, "Hey, we found a kidney." They drive all the way up to Wisconsin, and he get there, and they say, "Well, this doesn't work for you, it doesn't." So months and months of that happening, but about a month and a half, he got a kidney transplant, and he said instantly, he felt like a new man. He felt like a new man. I actually saw him yesterday at a wedding. I hardly recognized the guy because he looked so fresh. He looked so new. He got a fresh start with this new, new kidney. And some of you may have worked dead-end jobs that you weren't even excited about in the least bit. To go to work every day was an absolute chore. But somehow you got a new job. You got a new career where you can build for something. You're making more money. You got a fresh start, an opportunity to start all over. And it was just invigorating. It gave you new life, right? Some of you are having you know, issues with debt and finances and something happens where you get to start over fresh, right? Build your credit back up or debt was forgiven and this huge weight was just lifted off of your shoulders because things weren't going well, but you had an opportunity to start over. Sometimes a new start is a very good thing. In fact, it can be a great thing. And I think that that's especially true when it comes to our souls, is especially true when it comes to the thing within us that matters most, and that's our soul, that's our heart, that's our very essence, particularly as it relates to our creator. Sometimes a fresh start is just what we need. And the good news that I have for you on this Resurrection Sunday is that with Jesus, he offers us a fresh start. And some of you came in today desperately needing that, and some of you need that and you don't yet know you need it. But I'm glad you're here today because we're going to find out. I have the privilege this morning of concluding a series that I've been in for the last several weeks. It's a series that we've been calling The Wonderful Cross. And the series has been designed basically to get us all to focus on the most important thing uh, as it relates to our faith. And faith, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. I've said week after week, week throughout this series, and I've even said it before, is that when we can manage to keep the main thing the main thing. In other words, if we can manage to keep the most important thing at the top spot on our priority list, it fixes a lot of what's broken in life. It guarantees us success and functionality in ways that few other things do. And I've drawn our attention, at least I hope I've drawn our attention to the centrality and the importance and the significance and the necessity of keeping the cross as the main thing as it relates to our faith. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction or those that don't believe. But we who are being saved know that the cross, everything that it entails, is the very power of God. There's no more, more of a powerful demonstration of God's love, his mercy, his power, his greatness, his ability, and his willingness to do whatever he wants for the benefit of humankind there's no greater uh, uh, expression of his power than the cross of Jesus Christ. And what I've been saying over the last few weeks is, that, is the cross is false. If it's been embellished, if it's made up in any way, then God is a liar. And if God's a liar, then the work of the cross is false. And then we're still on the hook for all of our sins. That's terrible news, right? But since the cross is true and we can glory in it and we can, we can celebrate because of it, that means that God is who he says he is. And he'll do what he says he'll do and that we are not on the hook for our sins and that Jesus died for our sins so that we can have freedom, so that we can have new life. And not only was he, did he die, but Jesus rose again. Friends, Jesus is risen. Now, I don't know what you came here to do today. You got to look a little sleepy this morning. Hopefully we can wake you up a little bit. Maybe do some jumping jacks to get the blood flowing a little bit. But this is Resurrection Sunday, and Jesus is risen. And, man, that changes everything. It changes everything. At least it should. The burning question that we should be asking this morning, and every morning for that matter, is what's the significance of the resurrection? In other words, what's different? What's new? What does it mean? What's different now that we know that Jesus didn't stay dead? What's different? The difference is that God is trustworthy and that we're off the hook for all the sins that we deserve to pay for, man. We're off the hook. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have any personal responsibility to continue to lean into faith and to continue to do what God asks us to do. But it means that we get a fresh start. It means that we can start all over again with a clean slate and that Jesus loves us so much, man, that he wants to give us an opportunity to begin again. I've called this message this morning, Jesus Offers a Fresh Start. Jesus offers a fresh start. And this is so significant. This is so important, particularly in the light of the resurrection. And this morning we'll see what happens when the sin and the shame and the doubt and the uncertainty that we often carry, the sin and the shame, the doubt, the uncertainty that sidelines us, that keeps us parked, What happens to that sin? What happens to that shame? What happens to that doubt? What happens to that uncertainty when it encounters the truth and the power of the resurrection? Now, you may not have all those things at play in your life, but you've got one or more of them. And I want to see what happens when those encounter the truth of the resurrected Savior. We'll look this morning at a passage of Scripture in John chapter 21. John chapter 21, we'll start at verse 1. And this is one of Jesus's post-resurrection encounters that I think is extremely meaningful. It speaks to us in a unique way because as we reflect on the resurrection, we consider what it means for us today. And we'll look, as we look at John chapter 21, at Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, one of the f- fathers of our faith. And we'll look at what this means for him. And as we look at this story, we can see what it means for us. John chapter 21 uh, we'll be projecting these, uh, the scriptures on the screens in front of you. We'll also have Bibles on the edges of each row. Feel free to use those this morning. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, you can take one of those home as a gift from us to you. You probably notice that these are new Bibles. We've set out new Bibles. If you have an old one, you know, it's the same stuff in this one that's in the one that you've taken. Uh, so don't feel like you need to grab another one. But if you must, go ahead and grab one. And if you take it to stealing our Bibles... I suppose you need them more than we do. So John chapter 21, before we begin, let me, let me pray this morning. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the resurrection. Thank you so much for all that that means for us. Thank you so much, God, for the fresh start that you offer us. And God, I know that, you know, uh, where each and every one of us where we, where we are this morning, what we need to hear, how we need to respond to you. And I don't need to try to figure out where each of us is. Lord, I know that you've given me a word today that will speak life to each and every person that's here. So, Lord, you know our individual coordinates, and I pray that this word would reach us right where we are. Lord, I pray that you put power on these words that you've given me to speak this morning. May your truth, may your hope, may your light shine through. Give us a fresh start. Teach us this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, John chapter 21 very last chapter of, of 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 John the book of John and John is uh the fourth in the series of gospels the first four books of the new testament and uh John sort of sums up his account of the life of Jesus with this particular passage we'll begin reading at verse 1 later Jesus appears excuse me i also should say that Jesus has risen from the dead And he's sort of making his rounds to his disciples, and he's um, basically encountering them in different ways. And this is one such encounter. Verse 1, later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat But they caught nothing all night. Familiar story, right? Verse 4. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some fish. So they did, and then they caught a hole in the net. Because there were so many, excuse me, they couldn't haul in the net, excuse me, because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple, Jesus loved, that would be John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they, when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've cu- just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net had not torn. Verse 12. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of his disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time. Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young and you were able to do as you like, you just just dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Verse 19, Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple that Jesus loved, that's John. The one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Right? Lengthy passage here, but a real good passage here. Fantastic passage, I think, in light of the resurrection as we've gathered here to celebrate it today. We see Jesus interacting with his guys on the shore side. And I love this story a whole lot. I love it for a lot of reasons. One, I love it as a preacher because there's about four or five sermons in here, right? But I love it for a number of reasons and I, I I love it for one of the reasons is it's the last thing we read before we enter the book of Acts. It's the last sort of thing that we read before we see the early church get it start. and these guys, these disciples just could have gone nuts spreading the gospel and spreading the good news, working miracles, making disciples. This is the last thing we read before we cross over into the book of Acts, the story of the early church. The other reason I really like this passage is because it involves Peter. I have a fondness for Peter. You know, I think the apostle Paul might be my favorite apostle, my favorite sort of Bible character outside of Jesus. But I really like Peter. And I'll tell you why I like Peter. I like Peter because Peter... Has some issues. Peter was used mightily by the Lord, but the brother has some issues. Peter is terribly flawed. He happens to be impulsive. He's quick-tempered. He's prone to have a failure of nerve on occasion. And the scriptures don't quite edit out. You know, they don't. They don't edit Peter to be this great guy. They show and reveal his flaws. And I don't know about you, but but a flawed person like myself. I take great hope in the fact that Jesus can use a broken person, that Jesus can use somebody who has issues, that Jesus can use somebody who is fearful at times and quick-tempered at times and gets a little mouthy sometimes, and he can use people who sometimes loses their courage and loses their nerve and runs away. You'll recall that Peter's done a lot of things, unflattering things that are mentioned in the scriptures, but perhaps the most significant one... And the one that perhaps looms the closest to him in this particular moment is the fact that Jesus, uh, sorry, Peter had denied Jesus three times. This this particular scripture makes reference to the, the guy sitting at the Last Supper with Jesus just before he's arrested and persecuted. And Jesus begins to tell them that somebody at the table is going to betray him. And the disciples inquire as to who this is. And basically, Peter says, listen, I will never leave you, Jesus. I will never do that. And Jesus says, as sure as I'm standing here, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. And as sure as Jesus spoke those words, Peter denied Jesus three times. And I imagine he felt absolutely terrible about that. And after all this time has passed, weeks has passed, and Jesus has, has died and has risen again, this issue with Peter is still unresolved. He hasn't dealt with this issue, hasn't made this right. And I imagine that this is one of the main reasons that Jesus encounters him in this passage. John has 21 verses, this, 21 chapters, this being the last. John could have easily ended with chapter 20. In fact, if you read chapter 20, it reads like the last chapter. But here we have one final chapter because God had some unfinished business. That work for Peter to do. He had some stuff for him to do, and this thing, this issue, was hanging over his head. And Jesus, as he often does, as he mercifully does, he comes to us and he deals with the thing that looms over us. He deals with the things that keep us stuck. Deal with the thing that keeps us parked. And that's why I love John twenty-one so much. And I want to pull out this morning four specific things that happened in this particular chapter. Uh, That Jesus does with Peter here as he gives him a fresh start. And I think that we all can see ourselves somewhere in this passage. And I want you to look long and I want you to look hard because we can all see ourselves here. The first thing that Jesus does is Jesus goes to Peter. Jesus goes to Peter. It's a very significant thing about this passage that Jesus would go to him. And if you look at Jesus, if you look at all these four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the story of Jesus, you see Jesus is always having these encounters with these people who have issues, with these people who are sinful, with these people who are selfish, these people who have terrible reputations. And some of those people seek Jesus out, but a great many of them, Jesus goes to them. Jesus sees them across the way. He goes to them. And oftentimes people are puzzled that somebody who has such a good reputation, somebody who is so holy, somebody who's such a great teacher, somebody who is such a devout Jew and law keeper, why is he interacting with these people who have these issues? Why is he interacting with these people? I think it's very significant that Jesus goes to Peter. He comes to him. And I think it's important because Peter dealing with his issues dealing with his shame dealing with his guilt he probably doesn't want to interact a whole lot with jesus right now with all this business that's unresolved everybody knows about it all the guys know about it it's very important very significant that jesus took the high road and went to go check peter out went to go check him out and when jesus goes in search of peter where does he find him he finds him doing his trade he's a fisherman So Peter is fishing, and not only is Peter fishing, but he's invited some of his buddies to go fishing along with him. Now there's been some scholarly debate about whether or not Peter was in the wrong for going fishing. Some of you recall the story in the Bible about two years before this story that we're reading happens where Jesus finds Peter fishing. And he, he calls him to fish for men. In other words, I called you away from that into full-time ministry. And some scholars believe that he essentially called Peter away from fishing for fish and called him to full-time fishing for people. And that to, for Peter to return to fishing is a sign of perhaps a lack of faith, that there's something uh, unsettled within him. And not only did Peter go fishing, but he dragged six other people along with him. I personally believe that Peter shouldn't have been fishing That Peter was up to no good here in the grand scheme of things. But that didn't stop Jesus from going to find him. Didn't stop Jesus from pursuing him. Didn't stop Jesus from going to find Peter exactly where he was. And I think this speaks uh, to us in a significant way as well. Because I don't know about you, but I don't really want to do business with God when I'm neck deep in my stuff. When I've got these open accounts, when I've got this thing that I'm holding on to, when I'm in my sin, when I'm in my rebellion, when I'm running away, when I'm feeling ashamed, I don't really, I don't really get a whole lot of joy in, in praying and in worshiping during those times. I'm not real eager to seek the Lord's face. And some of you would agree that it's just real hard to come and worship and interact and to come to this place of worship when, well, you got some stuff going on particular stuff that you're not ready to quite deal with yet and some of you feel like man do these people know what i'm dealing with do they know what i was doing just last night you're not eager to interact with jesus when you got some stuff going on and the fact that jesus comes to us when we're in the midst of our stuff when we're up to no good When we got this unfinished business, when we got these open accounts, the fact that Jesus comes to us is very, very significant. And Jesus, for some of you, just won't leave you alone. (laughs) Just won't leave you alone. Just won't leave you alone. And maybe it's that pesky neighbor who loves Jesus. They're a Jesus freak. And they just keep inviting you to stuff. Keep telling you about nights of worship. Keep telling you about Sundays. This won't leave you alone. Maybe you're reading the newspaper and out of it falls an invitation to come and worship for East. Just won't leave you alone. Some of you just try to watch a little bit of TV to get your mind off of what's going on. And the preacher on there, it's like somebody told him what you were dealing with. Somebody told him what your issue was and he just reads your mail right through the TV. And you go, Jesus, just leave, leave me alone. But he won't because he's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose for you. Got something for you to do. And Jesus comes to us in the same way that he came to Peter. You're feeling sinful. You're feeling ashamed. You're feeling disconnected. But Jesus comes to us like he came to Peter. second thing I see in this passage here is that Jesus offers reconciliation. He offers reconciliation. He offers reinstatement. He offers a second chance. He offers a fresh start. We read in verse 15, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these, these other disciples? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Jesus said, verse 17, the third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed My sheep. What a bizarre exchange. And we just sort of look at this without considering any history, without considering any context. What a bizarre exchange. What if I came up to you and asked you the same question back to back to back three times? You might be polite, but in your mind, you might think there's something not quite right with this guy. This guy's the leader of the outfit. He asked me the same question three times. There's something strange here. But when you zoom out and you, de- you, you, you consider what Peter might be dealing with as he interacts with Jesus, you think about the elephant that's in the room. And it's most certainly Peter's three denials that Jesus predicted. Three times when Jesus was in need, when, when Jesus would perhaps would have liked somebody to stand up and be counted with him during his most trying and difficult hours. As death was just around the corner for him, Peter denied him. Peter denied him, and he did so three times on three separate occasions. And what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing as he encounters Peter here, he's dealing with the main issue. He's dealing with the thing that's likely to keep Peter sidelined. Dealing with the thing that might loom over him and perhaps prevent him from running fully into what God has called him to do. And who God has called him to be. Jesus is offering him this reinstatement here. He asked him three times, do you love me? And each time those words love, are used the first two loves. If you look at the original language, those two words mean the same thing. The first use is of love. Do you love me? Do you love me unconditionally? Do you love me faithfully? And Peter says, yes. But that last, do you love me, is translated, are you, are you even my friend? Are we even cool? Are we even buddies? Are we even tight? And we see at the end of this, in verse 17, that Peter gets a little no, annoyed, as as, 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 as as many of us would. He says, listen, why you, well, you keep asking me the same question over and over. Not to mention, you're Jesus. You're God. You're the resurrected Christ. Listen, you know everything. Look, look deep into my heart and tell me if this is true. I'm not lying to you. I know I lied before. But this this time, I really mean this, Lord. You know everything. You know that I love you. And I think it was especially important, especially significant, that Jesus would allow Peter to offset those three denials. Because Jesus knew that that was the thing that was looming in his heart. Now, make no mistake, Jesus didn't need to hear that three times, Right? He didn't need, I just need to hear you say it, Peter. You really hurt me. I just want you to say, I want to hear you speak the word, son. It's not how this went down, it's not what was going on here. Jesus knew that this is what Peter needed to get over the hump. This is what Peter needed to get on with uh, what Jesus had called him to be and what Jesus had spoken to his life. I tell you, this is the last thing that we read before we hit the book of Acts. And if you read the book of Acts, there's a lot of action in that book. These guys go crazy. They're preaching everywhere. They're praying for folks. They're making disciples. They're healing people. Demons are coming out of people. It's a lot of work to be done when we turn the page. And so to stay stuck on something as silly as sin... To be sidelined by something as insignificant in God's eyes as shame just simply wouldn't do. It simply wouldn't do. And I think this speaks to us, and I think this is significant, particularly for those of us who need a fresh start today, because there's something, there's something in the corner of your mind, and maybe it's at the central focus of your heart, that's keeping you stuck. That's keeping you from walking into what God has called you to walk into. It might be keeping you from being a good mother, it might be keeping you from being a good father. It might be keep keeping you from being a good husband, it might be keeping you from walking into leadership and might be keeping you from going into ministry, it might be keeping you from being a committed follower of Jesus. And Jesus, every chance he gets, he wants to put his finger on that. He wants to deal with that in a way that's meaningful to you and a way that's significant to you in the same way that he dealt with Peter. I think this is one of the particular reasons why Jesus visits Peter here. This happens with Peter at a very pivotal time. There was unfinished business, unsettled stuff. There was something between Peter and Jesus that Jesus wanted to squarely deal with. And I get this, man, because I'm like this in my interpersonal relationship. It bothers me when there's something between me and the people that I love. Bothers me when I've wronged somebody or when somebody's wronged me or when there's an awkwardness between us. And, and those of you that know me, and I'm, I'm, I'm like a bulldog when it comes to conflict. We're not going to just sweep this thing on the rug. I'm going to call you every hour on the hour until we settle this thing because we got work to do. Otherwise, what's happening? We're in a room. It's awkward. We're pretending to smile. We're pretending like nothing is there. Or we avoid each other altogether. Listen, who's got time for that? who got time for that? We've got relationships to build. We've got a church to build. Listen, nobody's got time for that in the faithful words of Sweet Brown. We've got no time for that. <laughs> uh, that wasn't in my notes here. We don't have time for that. Neither does Jesus, right? So that's why he is the way he is. Won't let you sleep at night until you deal with it. Won't let you get on with life until you deal with it. And that's not him being pesky. That's not being, him being mean. Man, that's him being God. That's him knowing that the plan that he has for your life and the purpose that he's put on the inside of you is so significant that it need not be derailed by something so silly and something so trivial in the grand scheme. It's too much at stake. It's too much at stake. Jesus offers reinstatement, offers him a second chance, offers him a shot at redemption, and Peter takes it. Peter takes it. And in the same stroke, we get to the third thing that Jesus offers. And Jesus affirms, and dare I say reaffirms, Peter's identity. Jesus affirms, and in this case, he reaffirms Peter's identity. And listen, we talk about identity a lot. Identity is a big deal when it relates to us being who God has called us to be. And I said last week that identity isn't what you're doing, right? I'm so glad that we're not defined in God's eyes by what we're doing. Because some of us are doing the wrong stuff. Some of us are doing evil stuff. Some of us are doing some scandalous stuff, right? And some of us are doing nothing at all. And I'm so glad that when God looks at us, he sees our true identity and not particularly what we're doing at the moment doesn't define us by what we're doing at the moment. We've, uh, for the sake of fi- having a working definition of identity, we've basically said that identity is what God had in mind when he created you. That's your identity. That's, 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 that's who you are. Now, you can be walking in that or you can be taking it easy, right? Regardless of what you're currently doing right now, when God sees you, when he identifies you, he sees what he had in mind when he created you, Right? So this is what Jesus does as he uh, enc- has this encounter with Peter, Peter as he reaffirms Peter's identity. Identity, right? And the three times that he asks Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter replies, and Jesus says, Well good, then feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs and in that Jesus is reaffirming who he's already spoken to Peter and told him that he is he's a fisher of men and it speaks to what Peter would do when we turn the page and we see the early church getting going we see these guys preaching they're starting churches they're having revival it's going crazy Jesus speaks this to him Peter this is who you are let's get beyond this silliness because this is who you are you're out here fishing that's what you do for a living. You're not that good at it. Every time I come and find you fishing, you're not catching anything, right? <laughs> probably, probably, you might need to change your pace. It's not who you are. You're not a good fisherman. Let's go fish for some, some people. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. And all of this is significant because Jesus has work for this guy to do. He encounters him. He comes to him. Because Peter probably wasn't going to initiate the conversation himself. And when Jesus finds him, he he zeroes in on the issue. And as he zeroes in on the issue, he reaffirms who he's called Peter to be, what he's called Peter to do. And he gives Peter his marching orders, feed my sheep. Interestingly enough, he also includes in verse 18, which seems to be a cryptic sort of, telling of how Peter would die. Basically, you know, Jesus said, you're also going to be crucified. I mean, you decode this message in uh, verse 18. Jesus is saying, hey, feed my sheep, but also, listen, it's going to get rough. There's going to be some rough roads ahead and you will be crucified. You will die for this. Now, that's not really what we want to read when we're reading our assignments, right? Not really what we want to hear, but I love how Jesus just laid it out for him. I want you to feed my sheep. That's as simple as it gets. Feed my sheep. And Jesus is the great shepherd. And Jesus had been their disciple for nearly three years. And as Jesus says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. All of these stories, all of these examples of Jesus feeding sheep, being a great shepherd, loving on people, building up all this, all these things probably come back to Peter. And he realized that Jesus is telling him to, hey, go and continue the work. The kingdom of God. Jesus also tells them that you're going to be crucified for this. Listen, people are going to hate your guts, dude. But imagine a dude that hasn't been crucified, who hasn't gone through that same thing, saying those words to him. Imagine how much different it might be that the resurrected Christ, who's who went through all of that pain, all that suffering, all of that torture. Imagine that guy saying, "Hey, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna be crucified. You're gonna be persecuted." It's going to get rough. might be a little easier to hear from somebody who's gone through that. might be a little easier to settle into that when you're talking to the resurrected Christ. And as Jesus encounters this guy, he reaffirms his identity. And in the same way, Jesus, when he comes to us, when he deals with our issue, when he, keeps, he deals with that thing that keeps us stuck, he reaffirms for us our identity. He reminds us who we are reminds us about what we're supposed to be doing. And some of you, you've dealt with Jesus, you've dealt with your issue, but you still wrestle with, who am I? Like, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? What am I supposed to be doing in the kingdom of God? And let me tell you something. It's been my experience that the Lord isn't just sort of playing hide-and-seek with your purpose. He isn't trying to sort of play this game with you to keep you guessing what he wants you to do and guessing where he wants you to go. I don't think that Jesus is that type of guy. Scriptures tell us to seek him and he'll be found. Scriptures tell us that if we lack wisdom about anything at all, we only need to faithfully ask God who is more than willing to tell us where we're supposed to go and what we're supposed to do and who we are and what we should stop doing yesterday, right? More than willing to do that. But James says, after that verse, he says, listen, but you, when you ask him, you got to believe and not doubt. In other words, you've got to be serious about this. And God knows that we're, we're, we're playing around, or if we're serious. He knows if we come to him with this half-hearted, Lord, just show me your plan. Have your way, Lord. He knows the difference between that and it's heartfelt. God, show me the path I'm supposed to walk, and I will walk in it. Teach me your ways, O God, and I'll walk in your truth. He knows when we're sincere about that. And I would say that God is just burning with a desire to let you know who you are, to let you know where you should go. He would stop at nothing to drill through the issues to the core of your identity so that you know it and so you can get to work being and doing what he's called you to do and be. Can I just speak that to you today? For those of you wondering, seek the Lord and he'll be found. Ask him what you're supposed to do. Ask him who you're supposed to be. And he'll reveal it to you. Jesus reaffirmed Peter's identity. And he'll do the same to us if we humbly and faithfully ask. The fourth thing I see in this passage, you almost miss it if you blink. But the last thing that I see here is that Jesus warns Peter against comparison. He warns Peter against comparison, falling into comparison trap. And I think this is absolutely significant here. Jesus tells Peter what he's supposed to do. Jesus deals with this issue. He's come to him. And in verse 20, Peter turns around and saw behind him the disciple Jesus loved. That is the disciple John, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during the supper and asked, Who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, What about him, Lord? Jesus replied, If I want him to remain alive until I return, What is that to you? As for you, follow me. There are very few things that will sideline you like comparing yourself to others. And I think we got to get this through our skull. And you've heard me talk about this before. It's one of the main reasons I love this passage. And I love how this ends, man. Because get this. Peter's talking to the resurrected Christ. This is the third encounter that these guys have had with him. And Jesus has just completely blown his sin completely out of the water, wiped his slate clean, given him his purpose and his marching orders for life. You think Peter would just be like, okay, Lord, what's next? Let's just tear this thing up. Where do you want me to go preach? Who do you want me to go lay hands on? Like, where are the people you want me to go preach? Just tell me, right? Unfortunately, we see that in this moment, Peter is concerned about What's happening to the next guy? What's, what, what's going to happen to John? I mean, you told me I'm going to be crucified, but this guy that you really love, like what's, what's his assignment? And what'd you tell him to do, right? And Jesus deals with it real quickly, almost as dismissive about it. He says, listen, if I want this guy to live until I come back again, that's no, none of your business. You follow me. And I think that speaks to us in a significant way. We live in the light of the resurrection. We face uh, an encounter with Jesus where he comes to us in the midst of our sin and brokenness. He deals with our brokenness. He affirms our identity. I think that we can throw it all away if we become a little too preoccupied with looking over the fence. Everything looks greener over there. Everything just glistens over there. The neighbor's yard just looks so lush and pretty. Flowers and fruit. And kids just playing in the grass. Everything just looks so much more beautiful than what you've got. And that's no different when you come into the kingdom of God. No different when you start to look at what God has called you to do and what God's called you to steward. And when you just start beholding what somebody else has had. It's just real easy to fall into the comparison trap. And there's a significant way to neutralize all the other three things that God has did in this passage. By comparing ourselves to others. And let me just challenge you today that what God has called you to do, nobody else can do it but you. What God has called you to faithfully live out and how to faithfully serve him, that's what he's called you to do. And to try to walk in somebody else's anointing and try to walk in somebody else's blessing or somebody else's calling is absolute foolish because that's not what God called you to do. That's not who you are. Some of us, when we deal with Jesus, when we come to him, especially the post-resurrection, the resurrected Christ, and we're just eager to learn, what's next for me, Lord? What's next for me? My challenge to you, as Jesus challenged Peter, don't compare yourself to others. It's a landmine. It will neutralize each and everything that God has planned for you. And some of you, even as I say that, you're thinking of ways where you've fallen into that trap. You're thinking of ways where you couldn't rejoice over what God is doing in your life. You couldn't be happy. You couldn't be happy about where God has you and where he's leading you because you're looking at the next guy. Man, his church is growing real fast. Man, they just they're building new property over there. They got a church van now. You know? <laughs> oh, I'm just I'm, I'm just being a little self-disclosing right now, you know? <laughs> Right? But it's never did me any good. And it won't do you any good. Because Jesus is alive, man. And that means everything to us. So when we put this all together, we find that the resurrection was a big deal. And if you didn't believe that Jesus was the real deal, we certainly believe it in the light of his resurrection. And in the light of that resurrection, Jesus comes to us. No matter what we're doing, no matter where we're at, he comes to us. He deals with us. He offers us reconciliation, reinstatement. He deals with our sin. He affirms our identity. And he says, listen, there's no need to compare because what I have for you is awesome. What I have for you is absolutely marvelous. Worship team, you can come up. My question to you as I close today is where are you at on this? What do you see yourself in this story? And some of you would say, man, all four of those things hit me right between the eyes. Thanks a lot, Pastor. Some of you would say, you know what, a couple of those things really, really nail me. I can really see how I'm, I'm just kind of stuck on a couple of those things. And maybe for some of you, it's just one of these things that just said, man, that's, that's me. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I can't get past this. Here's the good news today. Jesus offers you a fresh start. Whether you've been in church your whole life, Jesus got a fresh start for you. Whether you've heard the gospel message and you've heard that Jesus died and rose all for your sins. Whether you've heard that message for the very first time today, God's got a plan for you. He's got a fresh start for you. And all you have to do is reach out and take it. Now, it's not a physical thing, so you can't actually reach out and grab it. But what I mean is you can lean in. I love that expression. You can lean in to what God has for you. Whatever stage of life you're at right now. Whatever you're dealing with, wherever you are today, listen, God knows. It knows exactly that you'd be here today, that you'd be hearing these words. But if you need a fresh start today, I think the Lord has provided one for you today. And my prayer for us is that as we worship, the Lord would just sort of turn those words over in your heart. You just begin to highlight those places and those spaces in your heart that are just kind of stale, that aren't going so well, that need to be made new and that he would just minister to those places and he would call you to respond to the word that he's spoken. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word and your truth. Thank you so much, God, that you offer us a fresh start, a new start. That we don't have to wallow in our sin. We don't have to wallow in our shame and doubt and skepticism. But, Lord, you come to us and you cause us to respond. So just as you came to Peter, Lord, and you met him where he was, And just as you dealt with his sin, and just as you reaffirmed his purpose, and just as you gave him his marching orders, Lord, would you do the same for us today? Those of us who are lacking wisdom, those of us who are curious about, Lord, what are we supposed to be doing, and who are we supposed to be? Father, I pray that you would speak clearly to us today. Clearly to us today. God, may we not leave this place the same as we came today. And as we worship you, Lord, more specifically as we celebrate the work of the cross, the resurrected Savior, Lord, I pray that your spirit would just break out in this place and you would make all things new. Gotta ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.